All right, take your, take your Bible and uh, t- turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I've entitled the message this morning to, uh, to wait upon the Lord. You know, the scriptures uh, are such a treasure. I hope you view it that way. Yeah, this better than this earpiece, right? <laughs> it keeps popping out. The scripture is such a treasure. You know, your Bible and you through all of life. And I find myself, you know, depending on the ups and downs and the valleys and the surprises and the stupid stuff we do or I do, I turn to different portions of it. Like yesterday at the, the wonderful memorial service, you know, uh, uh, you know, Susan Taylor, you, you guys read portions of God's Word, and, and those are uh, Psalm 23 and, and then 2 Corinthians 5 and, and, and John 14. Those are, those are passages of God's Word that we often turn to at times of bereavement and loss. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, and it feeds us and it helps us and it carries us. That 2 Corinthians 5, Taylor, you read that so well, I didn't get a chance to tell you. The, the, the problem, we walk by faith and that the, our, our bodies are crumbling and then someday we're going to have a body that will last forever. What an encouragement that is. And there are places like that, that encourage us at times of bereavement. There are other uh, places that when we sin, we need to turn to, right? I, I've, uh, I said to the men, and that came out, uh, how often I've worn out uh, Psalm 51 or Psalm 32, the penitential Psalms of David when he committed sin with Bathsheba. And, and, and the Spirit of God gave him direction to write that. You know, oftentimes we think of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our sin, and we're grateful for that. And then as we deal with our repentance and so turn, I often will turn to Psalm 51 or 32. They're penitential psalms, and they minister grace to us. There are times when, when we're seeking direction in our life, right? We read that the steps of a good man or good woman are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in that. And we say, Lord, thank you for that, because I, I really don't know at this moment what you're doing in my life. You know, ever notice that we stand right here at this moment in time, and, you know, we maybe have choices out there. We, we, do we go left? Do we go right? And, and oftentimes it's confusing, and we don't know. And we go, Lord, we just commit our way to you and trust you. But there are other times when there are hard times. Maybe not bereavement, but that's a hard time. There are other times that are hard, and, and I would like you to like an anchor to your soul. Remember Isaiah 40, our text for today. Because Isaiah 40 is one that really you ought to wear out in your Bible. It uh, presents in its landscape the grandeur and greatness of God. It presents uh, the fact that we're not much. And I hope you've discovered that uh, we're man the enos. The Hebrew word enos means man the weak. Think of that at night when I hit the pillow. That's me, man the weak. Face it, they have to jump in bed. I go, oh, I feel so good. You know, I can only do that if, uh, if I hit the, hit the hay first, right? Yeah, man the weak. It also reminds us where our strength comes from. When we feel like we can't, uh, we have no more strength, we're just ready to yell, Uncle, I give up. You know, whether it's uh, uh, waiting for God uh, for a medical report, and we've been praying for Larry these many weeks and these, these years for that. We wait and wait and wait on that. Or you do a job interview and you go like, I've not heard anything, what's happening? Or uh, some, of, some of your loved ones are in surgery and that the painful wait down the hall, you know, uh, it's agonizing, right? And uh, you go like, I, I don't know if I can, I can't, I can't wait any longer. Or, you, you, you know, there's so many of those times. And, and Isaiah 40 
is, is the thematically, it's waiting for the Lord. I remember one year uh, in 1986, you know, saved up for a long time, I was going to take our family across country on Amtrak. It was like a dream of mine to do that. And uh, we saved up and, and, uh, and we bought our tickets well ahead of time. And, and it really was fantastic. Faith gave birth to Jonathan. He was just born, newborn. And we crowded in the train, went across. I had a friend from seminary over in Oregon. And he said, you, you just get here and we'll take care of you and we'll have a great time. And, and so we did. We went both ways on train. I remember the train saying, now look, when we stop here at this stop, know this. You wait for the train, the train waits for no one. I go like, oh boy, that's, you know, like, where are my kids? I can see me leaving them in Montana at the stop, you know, waving away as the train pulls away. Waiting on God, not like Amtrak, but waiting and wondering. And during those uh, waiting room experiences, like Psalm 13, uh, addresses this whole theme. And so like a great anchor to, uh, to our hearts and mind. God gives us this great chapter in his wonderful word. Waiting is such a hard thing to do. How many of you got the handouts? Or Anna tried there with staples closed early yesterday, so we weren't able to get the printed one. Anybody here? Just a few. Do you have it from a few weeks ago? We got three of them. We have more than that? Okay. Some of you already threw it away. Okay, there are some. Okay. I was going to go completely off your page, if not. Well, the, the truth is, waiting is such a hard thing to do, isn't it? We hate to wait. I hate to wait at Wendy's when I go through to get my little hamburger, the double double patty with the works, you know. Don't tell Faith I eat those things. She, <laughs> she, 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 I get a lecture on they, they produce cancer or something. I've had that lecture before. <laughs> so, But we want something uh, to change uh, in our predicament, don't we? We realize often there's so much we can't do, so we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. A few weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 33, um, uh, that great uh, psalm of praise, the psalm ended uh, looking at the future, and the psalmist wrote, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Unfortunately, isn't it true, it's easier to sing the great truths of God than to live them. Have you ever noticed that? So, someone writing, and you know, I've often said it, uh, that uh, um, never did God's people more lie than when they sing. <laughs> we sing of the mighty faith and we sing of all these things, right? We, we really let it fly, but the truth be told, you know, our practice is probably a pretty far back. We want it to be up there, but and waiting is one of those things. Now, this, this idea of waiting uh, is not just a passive thing. We call this psalm the waiting on the Lord. It's not passive. It's active. It's, not like the, it's like the farmer. You know, the farmer waits on the Lord for his crop, doesn't he? But have you ever noticed in the spring, in, in our part of the world, he doesn't sit around and wait for the Lord. Okay, Lord, go cultivate that soil. Go ahead. Plant that seed. Go ahead. Detassel those, uh, that corn. He doesn't do any of that. He's busy involved with it as he waits and prays and waits for the harvest and the yield, with confident expectation, with hope, he's looking for the, uh, the fruit of that harvest. And that's the idea. Uh, and yet it's harder to sing, a, it's easier to sing about than actually to do. Well, I have on your sheet a few verses of Scripture, more encouraged the heart, captivated the mind, and kept the child of God pressing on in the midst of adversity. 
Then Isaiah 40, verse 31. Look at the last verse, because that's where he's going here. He says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, there are three reasons the, the uh, Isaiah writes to, the, uh, to those that were captive in Babylon. He writes this years ahead of time. Three reasons why we, uh, now these centuries later, must continually wait for the Lord, especially during the hard times. Now, let me give you the essence of it. Look at Roman number one. The, the first reason he's going to give is that God is, uh, God's greatness is absolutely unique. You cannot compare God with anything else or anyone else, especially to a lifeless idol. There is nothing like our Lord. We sing that worship song like that. Nothing. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments, God said, one of the big ones, right? You're not to make anything in my likeness. Anything that you would make in the likeness of God is going to fall woefully short. If it's an inanimate object, it's lifeless. It doesn't breathe, never existed. Maybe it's gold, maybe it's silver, maybe it's an oak thing coated over. Maybe it's an image of something, and it always falls short. God said, don't even make anything. Make nothing. Because I'm far beyond anything that you've ever seen. And therefore, he's saying God in his greatness is absolutely unique. The second thing he's going to say, second reason, is God's greatness is obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious. Open your eyes and look around. Everything you see is made by God. It shouts glory to God. Glory to God. It's like every molecule, every, every star in the sky, every ocean, every marine life, every person is like a miracle. There's that little song. It used to be, I'm a miracle. Yeah, it's true. A revelation of God. It's everywhere. It takes absolute spiritual blindness and deadness to, to reject that and to deny it. To live in God's world and see everything like neon lights, like Las Vegas with that strip with all the lights and the beauty and all that, or Manhattan with all the lights on at, the, at New Year's Eve and all that shouting, glimmering, glory to God, made by God, and stumbling around. What God? Where? I don't see it. It's just tripping over. Why? It's not an intellectual knowledge that's lacking. Said that Wednesday night at men's fraternity. Some of the guys said, well, I don't know how men could refuse God. I said, it's not an intellectual thing. It's not like, give me one more fact and then I'll believe. No, the God that they know is the God that men and women reject because they love their sin. People love their sin. Ernest Hemingway was no saint. He, was, he lived a terrible life. He's the bohemian man. He's the man that our culture loves. Oh, Ernest Hemingway, right? But at least Hemingway was honest. In his, uh, in his life uh, uh, of just pure self-indulgent, uh, he said, listen, the reason I reject God is that I love my sin. And he was honest. That's exactly right. People love their sin. That's why they refuse God. They want to be God. And so they live a rebellious life. God, don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And we strut around like that. God's greatness is obvious. Only the spiritually dead and blind refuse to see it. And finally, he says, God's promises can be trusted. Therefore, wait for him and only him. God now commands his downhearted and faltering people to look up. Look up. And so in essence, he's saying, God's greatness is unique. Don't lean on lesser gods. 
You say, well, we're sophisticated. We're educated in America. We don't, we don't have other gods. Oh, yeah. We live in the land that God is money. Money is God, right? That's what it is. We spell success with dollar signs. You say, well, I don't do that. Not, let me. That's our whole culture here. That's the world of advertising. That's, uh, that's all of that. We swim in the dirty water. We live in a culture that's constantly bombards us with this. Or personality greatness, or athletic greatness, or prowess, or beauty, whatever that is. The, the God, these uh, more abstract gods, not the idol on the shelf type gods. But we worship those things, don't we? Culture, as a people. And it walks into the church, in us, because we're inundated all the time. That's why we have to say that over and over and over again. Don't lean on lesser gods. Wait for him. The, the, uh, those in, uh, of, of Judah, who are now at this time living in Babylon, lived in a land of, of lesser gods, idols everywhere. They had been conquered and defeated and carried away in 70 years. And Isaiah's writing to them years, years prior, saying, don't lean on lesser gods. They are nothing. I am God, and everything I, I, that is, I have made, and I've made for you. God's greatness is unique. Be amazed at God's glory. It's seen everywhere. Count on his timing. Well, what I want to do is, is simply walk through this chapter. Okay? Let's read it. I'm going to make commentary a little different today. Um, let's, let's begin. He begins in, in chapter 40, verse 1, with a word of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand a double or a twin or a match is the idea for all her sins. Let me just give the setting here. Isaiah writes this about 150 years before the captivity. Uh, it is uh, sin on the part of uh, Judah that uh, God uh, came down and carried them away. Remember, he had warned them, if you sin and reject me, Jerusalem will be sacked and it will be no more. He had warned them, he had warned them, and he warned them. And in 586, Nebuchadnezzar finally came down for the third time, knocked on the door, destroyed the place, and carried away the best, destroyed the temple, carried the gold away, and off to Babylon. And now Isaiah, by God's direction, 150 years prior to that event, he's directed by God to write this word of prophecy, comfort my people, comfort. And it's a word of comfort. That looking toward the end of that 70-year captivity, God was now going to provide release. He was going to deliver. And in this, we're going to see this theme repeated over and over again as the Scriptures and their amazing exhaustiveness, inexhaustiveness, uh, show a near and a future fulfillment of this. Obviously, the comfort is ultimately and finally found in Jesus. We know that because John the Baptist is going to be preaching. He is identified as the voice crying out in the wilderness. Who are you, John? Are you that one? No, I'm the voice. He goes right to this chapter, announcing the Christ who is coming to provide the comfort and the deliverance. And if you look through this chapter, it's more than what our Lord did and all that he did when he came to Calvary and provided the only payment for sin. It shows the final consummation of all history when he smashes those that, approve, uh, those that are wicked and in rebellion and brings about the millennial and the future uh, eternal, eternal state. 
And so there's the time of Isaiah, there's the time of the captivity, there's the time of Jesus, and it looks forward even to the final days when sin will finally be done forever. Verse 3, a voice cries out, that's John the Baptist. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Is The Lord is coming to deliver. Get ready, every valley shall be lit. In other words, he says, prepare yourself, get ready. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, verse 5. And verse 6, and the voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? What shall I say? Now, what's, it, what's he going to cry? Now, here they are. Uh, they're in, in Babylon, a mighty, mighty Babylon, this glorious pagan center of godlessness that God raised up to be a spanking stick for his people that lived in rebellion. And now here these Jews are living there for these years, and their 70 years are coming to an end. I mean, it was an impressive place. Impressive. And they were being sucked in by even that culture. And so what, what's the voice say? Verse 7, cry, and what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. In other words, you're standing among pagan Babylon with all their nonsense and all their paganism, all the idols and all the philosophy of that day, and he says that's worth about grass. That's it. They're here for a moment, and they'll be gone. You know that... Uh, Napoleon marched his army all over the known world in his day, and uh, God had so obliterated Babylon by that day, the French troops marched right over the area that this city, Babylon, was, and they couldn't find it. Now, that, is that an amazing story or what? All of man's glory is, is, is a passing thing. You know, I thought about that with Steve Jobs in in all his greatness with Apple and all of that that he did, you know. And the Bible says that if the Lord tarries in a little bit of time, even great men and women are forgotten by future generations. If you ever notice that, even in encyclopedias, when someone of fame dies and they make it into an encyclopedia of some sort, and I know a lot of that's going digital now, they give like a lot of paragraphs. Have you ever noticed that? But if you look back at someone who's been gone a lot of years and it, it's going faster, it gets shorter and shorter. And pretty soon it's like one paragraph. You know, George Washington, president, first president of the United States. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they had volumes and books written earlier. And pretty soon it'll just be a hyphen. You know, that's what your life is, incidentally. Born, hyphen, and your death date. Even of great men and women, even like Steve Jobs and others. And even the greatness of Babylon. God said, don't be enamored with that. I raised them up. They were nothing. They were in the desert. I raised them up to be a spanking uh, uh, stick for my people who were rebellious. My word. I abide forever. That's what he's saying here. The word of the Lord will stand forever. And so he says in verse 9, get ye up into a high mountain. O Zion, herald the good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. You see, they were to be evangelists for God, for Israel, and for the world. It's a message of, of, uh, 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 of good news. Behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. I love verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. That's you and that's me if you know Christ the Lord as your Savior. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Those are the weak ones. That's us. Thank you, Lord, for that. He will carry them in his bosom, gently lead those who are with young. That's a mother with little, little ones. Now look at his, his greatness here. Who has measured the waters, that's the waters of the oceans, in the hollow of his hands, and marked off the heavens with a span, that's the width of his hand, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains on a scale, and the hills in a balance. Who has done that? Who has measured the who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught the Spirit of the Lord knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? I mean, we, we go to make uh, decisions, and, and, and the bigger the decisions, the more we want counsel, right? In the midst of counsel, there's wisdom, because someone may see someone, some, someone that loves you and knows you, and and see, may see something you don't see, and so you go to three or four. Don't go to too many. Then we get utterly confused, right? You know, you go to, oh, the, but go to two or three that you really respect at prayerfully and say, look, I'm thinking of this. What do you see? Do you see something I don't see? Help me out. We lean on each other, and we count on that, right? But think about the Lord. Who counseled him? Uh, nobody. He's always known everything. Did you know the Lord never learned anything? Think about that as you and I have gone through years of, of, of schooling and higher education, right? And, uh, and, 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 and uh, we'd be smart if we could ever remember everything we ever learned, right? I find most of life is relearning it again, relearning again, remedial. I'm in remedial again, right? Name, rank, and social security number on a good day, you know? <laughs> Nobody ever counseled him. Nobody ever instructed him. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. The, the, he's got the whole world in his hands. We sing that little chorus. comes right from here. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. You'll never see a placard down on the East River there in Manhattan, there at the UN with this verse on. Never see it. In their great pride, they strut around. The name of the Christ could never be offered in prayer there. That's part of, the, part of their foundational paperwork, unfortunately. The nations are like a drop uh, from a bucket. You ever take a bucket and one little drop? There it is. That's what God says the nations are. Don't, don't, don't worry about the nations. They're not much. Uh, not much. They're not. Uh, in, God's, uh, in God's view. And they're accounted as dust on the scale. He's talking about some of you took uh, chemistry and you know what a balance scale is. And uh, you got to dust those things off before you put your, your weight on one side and your element on the other side and you weigh it, you know. Forget putting anything, it's just the dust on it. Yeah, God's not impressed can I see? It's not impressed with the United States. Whoa, what a fearsome, what a mighty country. Uh, you know, God, I, I, I'm not impressed. They counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up 
the islands, the coastlands, like fine dust. Lebanon, in the mountainous Lebanon with the virgin timber, the, after the flood, the cedar there. If you were to take all that virgin timber, cut it down, not sufficient for fuel uh, to burn and sacrifice and a burnt offering. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. And then he moves into our three points in verse 18 and following. The first reason why we need to wait with great expectation, the Lord is God's greatness is unique. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him? An idol, he suggests. Well, let's think about it. He says, a craftsman, he cast it. Can you see him doing it in his little shop? A goldsmith overlays it with gold. It's gold-plated, and he cast it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering, you know, okay, so you can't afford that, so here's the cheap way out. You give me a piece of olive wood and cover it or something. Choose a piece of wood that will not rot. He seeks a skilled craftsman. Set up an idol that will not move. Did you get that? The thing is lifeless. It's dead. Never had a thought, never a breath, never a heartbeat. That's not me. God said that's nothing. I made that. What are you doing? Lifeless. You can't compare me to that. Do you not know? Look at these questions. Now, do you not know? They're, they're given to drive conviction. Do you not know? Of course they knew. Do you not, uh, have you not heard? Of course they heard. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God in his utter greatness, the greatness of God is so obvious. He sits above the circle of the earth. Have you ever seen uh, the atmosphere of the earth and how beautiful that is? You ought to thank God for that atmosphere. The blue haze, you know, it's called the blue planet, planet earth. That little bit of, of atmosphere that goes up in the stratosphere and beyond, I mean, it protects us. It holds the, uh, the heat in. It protects us from rays and meteorites and other things that would, would uh, life is bad in the fallen world, but it could be worse really could be worse. It was a pre-flood vapor canopy that collapsed with the, uh, uh, the, with the flood. And uh, that's where most, uh, a lot of the water came from and the fountains of the deep broke up. But there is that atmosphere there and it's beautiful, that beautiful hue that surrounds the planet Earth. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and, this, and Isaiah is saying, by the Spirit of God, God sits above that. He reigns above it, supreme in his sovereignty and in his greatness and the creation and, and, uh, and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You ever go to the top of the Empire State Building and look down? It looks funny to see. Look at the little, little yellow cabs everywhere. You go, yeah. Don't spit. Don't ever spit. Now no, that you run my own. I said it to my boys once we were somewhere and you know how it is, our sin bent, immediately they both want to start spitting. That's that sin bent within us. Don't do it. Oh, ha, ha. That's the law. It increases sin. That's what Paul, that's another sermon, but that's Romans. But imagine that. You know, if we went to the moon and looked back, you can't see anybody. We're so important, you know. The moon, you look back and say, yeah, hey, there's my family. There's my, I like Google Earth because you can, you can kind of, you know, satellite, see your backyard. And, and when Greg and Sarah were over in Cutter, 
uh, I, and this thing was just coming out a number of years ago, and I was at the Apple store, and uh, I Googled uh, Doha Cutter, and I was able to zero right in on their compound, and I could, I could see, the, see it, and I, and I called him, amazingly, on, uh, on a Vonage phone. It connected, and I'm looking at their house, and I said, Greg, I'm looking at your, your villa there in Doha Cutter, and he said, well, hold on a second, I'll run out in the backyard and see, I'll wave to you. I, and, I, and I said, will that work? He said, no, it won't work. Those pictures were probably taken six weeks ago or 10 weeks ago or something. I'm like, it was brand new stuff. I know that now. But uh, wow, to see that. Grasshoppers, even the biggest of us, even NBA players, that ought to make you feel good. Those guys are like giants on the court. And God says they're like grasshoppers, small. Wow. And he goes on and says, uh, in verse 23, he brings princes, that's rulers to nothing. Can I say it? Well, you can write uh, Gaddafi's name in there. Last thing that went through his head was something from a 9 millimeter. You know, and, and he was a murderous man and, and, uh, and other evil men, leaders. He brings them to nothing, nothing. Masetang. You know, just go through the list. Hitler, you know, evil men that people feared, gone. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Even the Babylonians, that's his point. You're, you're getting caught up in the splendor here. Don't be overly enamored. Pretty soon they're going to be gone. Napoleon won't even be able to find the place. Wow, that puts it in perspective. Scarcely are they planted, verse 20, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, and when he blows on them, look at that metaphor, when he blows on them, they're with, they wither. Can we say something about Castro here? I mean, it's amazing that the guy keeps living on and on and on, but have you seen him lately? There's not much there. They wither up. And the tempest carries them off like the stubble. Don't be enamored by evil leaders and wicked men, or in this case, the Babylonian. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Holy meaning one of a kind, unique. And finally, the promise, therefore God's promises can be trusted. We can wait in confident expectation no matter what it is. A job, a health, a surgery, Something in our family, some problems, some Lord, and we wait and we wait, Lord, I can't wait anymore. He says, just keep casting, keep waiting. I'm here, I'm really great. Don't lean on anything or anyone else. Lean on me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. Just keep trusting and waiting. And Jesus would say, That's what I did. Remember Gethsemane? That's what I did. He went there and prayed the night of his arrest. Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me. And he prayed three times for that. Not my will, but nevertheless your will be done. And aren't you glad that he did the Father's will completely, as horrible as that involved? He did that for us. He said to the disciples who kept falling asleep, and that's like us, right? Couldn't you watch and couldn't you wait and pray for, for an hour? They kept nodding off, falling to sleep. Wait and watch. Wait with confidence. I'm really there. I'll carry you. I'm really great. 
Don't lean on lesser gods. My timing. That's the thing a lot of times we worry about, wonder about God's timing. Say, well, his his timing and his will are bound together. His timing is perfect. Perfect. And so we can count on his promises. Verse 26 to the end, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. In other words, look up to the star. Learn the lesson of of the night sky. Who do you think created these? He brings them out by host. They're host by number, and they're innumerable as far as we know. There are billions and billions and billions of these. He calls them each by name. You know what that means? That each star is unique. Each heavenly body, there's, there's no, uh, uh, they're not mass-produced and punched out all the same. They're all different. They all have different characteristics. And we can measure it and look at it, and it's wonderful. We mentioned that yesterday with Tom's homegoing. You know, that we're, we're all unique. God has made each one with fingerprints that are unique. Your DNA, your retina, your fingerprints, and all the rest are you. God has not lost you, forgotten about you. His timing is perfect. Learn, learn the lesson of the sky, of the stars. By the greatness of his might, because of his, he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way, I guess, you can see it, that's us, my way is hidden from the Lord. In other words, he's forgotten me. My, my right is, is, is disregarded by my God. And then the rhetorical question, have you not known? Of course they knew. Have you not heard? Of course they heard. The, here it is. The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not uh, faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And we, we're fond of saying the mystery of God's will. Aren't we saying that? We wonder, what is God up to in our life? And we go like his mysterious providential will. We try and discern, Lord, are you doing this? You're doing that? And we're not really sure. And that's, that's what he alludes to. His, his understanding is unsearchable in things he doesn't know. He doesn't owe us an explanation. Oh, by the way, Terry, this is why I did that. Oh, by the way, Terry, this is, this is what I'm doing in that. A lot of times I'm stumbling around in the dark. And so you say, Lord, what are you up to? I don't know. It's mysterious. But the reality is, and I've often said it, is, is if God told us, we, we'd never understand it. He's like, I could tell you, but you wouldn't get it. I worked on so many levels and planes, like a multi-level chessboard, you would never be able to know it. His understanding is unsearchable. And so he, he concludes by saying, He, that is the Lord God, this almighty God of ours, gives power to the faint. That's me. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Isn't that great? That's better than a protein drink, Right? Some of you go down to GNC and you, you get these drinks that refurbish uh, your system after, uh, after you work out, right? And get the bulging biceps and all that good stuff, right? No, he increases our strength when we're weak. He gives power to the faint. Look at verse 30. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Now, that's, that's a great verse for mothers because they're really never quite sure with the boundless energy of a toddler. You know, I was like that. My father told tell me, sit still. I'm moving? Yeah, you're moving. You're moving. Do you know, don't you know you're moving? I am? I'm tapping. I'm touching. I'm, what's the matter with you? He'd say, <laughs> you know, like, like a dog. You ever see a dog? Sometimes a crazy dog. I had one once that 
and the thing kept running around in our garage where the door was shut, and it was like, what is wrong with that dog, you know? And then finally, it just laid down. You know, that's, and that, I often think of that with, this, with toddlers and mothers that are exhausted. My daughter today is driving uh, nine hours with three young babies in her car. Wondering how is she going to do it? It's okay it's, if everything's okay, but if there's a problem, I don't know how in the world Greg is back at the hospital working. So she's, well, we just prayed. We prayed really this Lord help because the girls have boundless energy. And, young, and look at even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Young men. Young men. They're the emblem of vitality and strength. Strong, vital. Ah, you know. There's a time I hated to sleep because I wasted the hours. And that's no longer with me. <laughs> and some of you are dot nodding off. You're also with me in a different way. But even you shall faint and be weary, and young men fall exhausted, and here it is. This is what he's driving us to. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know, an eagle lives to be 100 years old. They molt even in old age. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we need? I'm increasingly aware of that's what I need. They that, what's, so what's the promise? They that wait upon the Lord, this matchless, almighty God who shows himself everywhere. His promises wait upon me. So how do we do that? We have to know him as Lord and Savior, right? You have to receive Christ. And then, and then you, just, you just, you have to just continually give it to him, whatever it is. Give your life to him. Lord, I give my life to you for me to live as Christ. Christ died for me, and therefore it's Christ in me. And I, I, I really don't belong to myself. And I think I'm in a waiting room, but I'm really right where I need to be in your schedule. Help me to be content with that. I blow it so often. I think you've forgotten me. Help, remind me of the lesson of the, of, of, the, of the night. Not one of them is missing. I guess that means I'm not missing, too. Forgive me, Lord. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm lost or AWOL. Renew my strength. I remember times when, when I felt so close to you. Lord, restore. Bring the times of refreshment again. Uh, I'm weary. And we can get weary in life, can't we? You get weary in well-doing. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, don't get weary in well-doing. We can. As we age, we have less energy. As we age, there are more reasons to be perhaps disappointed. Renew my strength. When I think of it, I think of one character in the Bible, and I pray that way in my own life. Don't you love Caleb? Here he is. Give me that mountain. Here is an old man. He had been one of the spies that went in. He and Joshua brought the report back. We can take them. The ten said, oh, no, they're giants in the land. Oh, no. Another case where the minority, the majority was wrong. And uh, 40 more years, for our 40 years in the wilderness, they all died. Now, now Caleb is 80 years old. 
he and Joshua are entering into the promised land. And uh, do you realize that Caleb, when they were talking about the settling of the land and defeating of the Canaanites, he went down to that very mountain, that very area where the giants were. He had, he had the vision, he had the trust in the Lord, and he said, give me that land. Even as an old-timer now, 80, that's the land I want. His strength was renewed, vim and vigor. Don't you love that? We can grow old gracefully. We can grow old as men and women of great faith and trust. Give me that mountain. I'm trusting the Lord even while we're in the waiting room. May God help us. May Isaiah 40 be a chapter of the Bible that you often turn to and find strength from it, just like you would at other times and other places of God's wonderful Word. And God will give you strength in your heart to go on when you think you can't go on one more day or the burden's too heavy. Look at verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Lord, that's what we need. That's what I need. May God help us. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.